This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is episode 680 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm your head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick, and while I'm no meteorologist, it seems like if you want to scare people about the seriousness of a hurricane, you don't name it Ian. My name is Matt Baum, your head number two, and I would have gone with something more along the lines of, like, Zool or Nair Lothotep, you know? Yeah, something like, scary. no offense to no offense to the Ians out there, like, they also could have named it Hurricane Marsha, right. and we would have been having the same conversation. Most of the Ians I know are just really nice guys, though, that's the problem. This exactly. week, we're back to reviewing eight new comics from last week and this week's new comic book day, using our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale, and then we're going to hit you with our must-read picks for next week. After that, you'll get a sneak peek of our THN Extra that we host for our loyal patrons over at Patreon.com, where the comic pushers are helping one heady nerd find some quality comic book adaptations of novels. That's books without pictures. Ugh, that's but the now, thought just creeps me out. I know. But now it's time to board up your windows and head for higher ground because it's review time in the ziggurat! As we do, we're covering two weeks of new comics, starting with last Wednesday, 921, and then we'll jump to this week, 928. This time, the pile is a little horror-heavy with not one, but two Crypt Keeper homages, but there's way more going on, too. We've got X-Ladies Night Adventures, a new series for the best Robin, Killer Therapist, and it all starts with a Substack hero bringing his chains to Image Comics. <laughs> First, uh, two points of order. First of all, he's not the hero of Substack, Yay. so you know, don't get confused. No, he's just uh, a Substack of, hero. Also, there are no chains in this book, but it is from the Kids Love Chains imprint of Donnie Cates. We're talking about Vanish Number One from Image Comics, written by Cates, with art by Ryan Stegman. Here's your solicit. Oliver Harrison was a mythical hero who slayed the greatest threat to his realm before even hitting puberty. But that was then. As an adult, Oliver leads an average cookie-cutter suburban life. Aside from the fact that he's mentally unstable, massively paranoid, smokes like a chimney, and gets blackout drunk every night to hide from his horrific nightmares. Will the arrival of a superhero team called The Prestige prove the madness isn't all in Oliver's head? And what about all the epic fantasy crap from his childhood? Join us for a brutal-as-hell tale of magical worlds, gifted youth, evil sorcerers, superheroes, war, blood, guts, and death that punches you right in the face. Wow. That's all here, too. All of it. <laughs> it might. Yeah, it's true. We often criticize stories that have too much going on, but Kate's really leans into it here in the best way possible. It's a pinch of Harry Potter with a dash of the boys, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I couldn't. I'll give I was going to say wanted, but they're heroes, not villains with a side order of Highlander. And it all works after a tense introduction to the shambling mound of a man. We'll be following through the series. Kate's kicks things into high gear, establishing the high concept of the series and the lore of this world over the course of several pages. The lengthy setup comes at the cost of learning more about the main character's current life, aside from his many ailments and addictions, but I trust that to come as the story progresses. Stegman's art is beautifully detailed and gleefully violent, like, oh, blah, he's so happy to be, he's just so happy to be here. You can feel the impact of every punch, stab, stomp, shot, and blast on the page. The constructs summoned from magical energy have weight and heft to them, and they look like they hurt like hell. I also really loved the costuming and designs of the magical realm. Like, it's kind of a weird, like, for a world of magic, it's, like, very high-tech looking. Maybe not high-tech, alien, right? It, it, no, it doesn't look stuff. like a... F there's techie stuff going on, too, though. But, like, it doesn't look like a, a fantasy world, you know? It's not no. like a, a it's not like an aging, crumbling castle. No, it's, it's like, like a techie fantasy world. Yeah, it's like of, a, yeah. it's, it's a pretty cool-looking place. Vanish is the bastard love child of several fan-favorite science fantasy franchises and concepts, and the series 
is off to a great start with this first issue. I'm giving this a buy it. I really liked it. Uh, further point of order. The character, the main character does in fact summon magical chains and choke someone to death with them. Oh, well, okay, fair. So, I mean, it's kind of a ball, it's a ball and chain. Yeah, so. yeah, but there's chains. <laughs> like, they're you're not right, getting away right, with chains. it. You can't there's, call- no, there's no chains in his costume. I no, guess, no, 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 no. You can't call your imprint kids love chains and not have chains in every comic, though. That's just how it goes. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot that happens here. But Donnie Cates is good at that. He can do that. He can hit you with a lot of stuff, but make it, fun like the intro to a video game or a or a music video that's high concept a lot happens but you get it and you're and you're totally in i was never lost this is mean nasty comic booking it's very todd mcfarlane like what spawn probably could have been had it been better (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) i mean it's way pretty different from spawn but yeah no i mean just in the sense that like you can see the Spawn influences. You can feel the McFarlane influences here in the art too, I think. And I, I had a lot of fun with this. I, I think it's cool that it's finally being released in comic form. I'm sorry we don't do more for digital stuff on this show, but that's just kind of not what we do best. So here it is in comic just, form. I, Go I'm pick just it not, up. I'm giving it a buy. I'm usually... I'm just usually unaware of it. You yeah. Know what I mean, it, like you have to subscribe to so many different newsletters and I just... It's almost impossible to follow the digital comics world. I mean... Yeah. It's just, that's why. That's why we are where we are. Hey kids, do you love R.L. Stein? If you do, you're going to love his new comic book. Although, don't show it to your parents. It's Stuff of Nightmares, number one, from Boom. It's $3.99. Like I mentioned, it's written by R.L. Stein. Not quite as kitty as what he normally does, though. With art by A.L. Kaplan. I love the initial crew that we've got going on here. And I assume since they both have L middle names, they're related. Right? That's how that works. Gotta be. Gotta be. Here's your solicit. The premiere issue of a brand new four-issue limited comic book series from R.L. Stein, the legendary author of Fear Street and Goosebumps, who's back with a chilling new take on iconic creatures from horror legend in his first creator-owned comic book series with chilling art by A.L. Kaplan, who worked on Ma and Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Colors by Roman Titov, who worked on Eat the Rich, and letters by Jim Campbell, who worked on Black Badge. I think it's awesome that they're just calling everybody out in the solicit. Good for you guys. That's fun. Yeah, for sure. In the premiere of Stein's Reanimated, reimagining the monster you encounter isn't the one you thought it'd be. You might be familiar with the classic tale of a mad scientist hellbent on creating life, but what these two demented brothers have created is something else entirely. Get ready for a darker, more gruesome, and even more terrifying series for horror fans who are ready to face their fears in Stuff of Nightmares! When Francesco Francavia is on the cover art, the internal art has a lot to live up to. Luckily, A.L. Kaplan's style, while different, works very well with Francavia's creepy style. You can see Kaplan's influences in artists like Mike Mignola and Tim Sale, and when paired with the stark color palette of Roman Titov, who also takes a page out of Francavia's book using blacks and blues and flashes of orange and pinks for contrast. This creative team creates a visually striking horror book. Stein's story celebrates classic horror, like E.C.'s Tales from the Crypt, complete with a creepy narrator. The story moves quick and gets bloody fast, running the characters through Stein's take on Frankenstein, and in true E.C. fashion, just because you're innocent doesn't mean you're going to survive this one. The first issue of Stuff of Nightmares trades heavily on classic horror comics and does it to great success with a fantastic art team paired with a beloved horror author that understands what makes a great creepy comic. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was really fun. I especially liked the art. I thought the yeah, uh, I thought the comic was really gorgeous. Kaplan's great. Um, it, there, there is definitely some Mignola here. Um, the coloring is really well done, very fitting for yeah. the story and the art style. Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of a nice visual. I, I like. I'm not even. I don't even think it's fair to assume that they did it intentionally. But there's a kind of a nice accidental visual link between you know the limited palette of the comic or of the comic pages. And the uh, limited palette of Francesco Francavia. Yeah. But yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. It's a buy it for me as well. And hey, look, R.L. Stein, he ain't just about the kiddies. Uh, there ain't nothing kid friendly about those Fear Streets. No. 
Oh, really? Okay. Holy, I, I thought Fear Street. God. I thought Fear Street was kind of like kid friendly too. I didn't know. No. No, okay. no, no. I take it all back. <laughs> okay, it's time to get a different kind of bloody with Exterminators number one from Marvel Comics. It's written by Leah Williams with art by Carlos E. Gomez. Here's your solicit. Enter the grindhouse of X. When Jubilee and Boom Boom agree to take Dazzler out for a night on the town to console her after a nasty breakup, they have no idea they're about to be kidnapped and put into elaborate death traps for their efforts. What are three girls with the power to blow things up to do? Leah Williams and Carlos Gomez, excuse me, that's Carlos E. Gomez, put the X in exploitation in this tale of blood, sweat, and revenge. Regular listeners will know that I have a love-hate relationship with the work of Leah Williams. For every project I love, there is another I find completely insufferable. Fortunately, Williams is at her best here with this raunchy, violent adventure, starring a handful of best ex-girlfriends, that's capital X, not EX. The story shares its DNA with great, what the hell did we do last night, movies like After Hours and The Hangover. And it's really fun seeing Dazzler, Jubilee, and Boom Boom in the spotlight like this. Now, I have a lot of questions about the extreme retconning of Jubilee's age. Yeah. But but <laughs> that's been going on for years I now. I suppose. I suppose. Ever since she became a vampire, like 10 years ago. So whatever. It's not Leah Williams' fault. There are some moments that don't make a ton of sense, like the cute and cuddly mascot Dazzler finds in the middle of a labyrinth full of monsters, for instance. Like, why would you decide that that thing is okay? Like, in a room full of monsters, why is that the one thing that's not trying to kill you? But they mostly work for this type of story. The art by Carlos E. Gomez is very strong. The action is exciting and the storytelling is mostly clear. Uh, while it is the brightest grindhouse story you'll ever read, three quarters of the cast have light and or explosion powers. Yeah, It's brutally violent and bloody. There's also a level of sexiness appropriate for a grindhouse story without it being exploitative, at least in that way. The design of the vampire creatures is a little uninspired, but, you know, they were basically cannon fodder, so whatever. It wasn't a big deal. If I'm being honest, I really wasn't looking forward to Exterminators number one, but I ended up having a ton of fun with it. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. I didn't like this as much. And not because, like, I mean, it was definitely a different tone. It was raunchy and comedic, whatever. There's room for that in the X universe. I'm fine with, like, a more adult take on this. But it got really adult really fast, you know, in some of the personalities and the jokes and stuff, which felt a little forced to me, but I'm okay with it. Fine. Well, how do you mean, like, what do you mean it got really adult? I mean, it was just kind of adult right off the bat. I get it, but, like, I've never seen these characters acting like that. They've never really acted like that in any other book they were in, is my point. You don't think Boom Boom has acted like that? Not like this. Not dressing the way she does. And Jubilee called her like, you're the sluttiest slut that ever slutted. You dressed like a slut slut. You know, like, I was kind of like, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I'm prudish about it either. But then we went on to this, like, really weird, very sudden grind horse, grindhouse story where they're kidnapped. And, yeah, they're fighting faceless vampire fodder and driving monster trucks and rescuing weird little monsters for no reason. And I just kind of felt like it was too fast and there weren't any stakes at all. And why is this happening? And by the time it was done, I went, eh, I'm giving it a skim it. I, I didn't love it as much. I, I just don't I mean, understand. There's a I mean, lot I going on the X universe and each book is doing a thing. And I guess I don't understand the thing that this book is supposed to be doing yet. You know, so I thought that they, I thought that this was kind of nice in that it was doing a thing that doesn't really you don't have to worry about anything else going on in the X universe. Yeah, I guess. But I also didn't care about a lot that was going on here. And I think that the fact that you don't know why it's happening is part of the story. I'm sure. 
And it's so going to be arcade. That, that was a feature, not a bug. You it's going to be arcade or something, I'm sure. My first you know. thought was that it was arcade. In but fact, I was surprised that they didn't reveal it was arcade. Right. right. And if you did, and if it is arcade, why didn't you just reveal it? It's not that big of a shock, you know, or Maybe Mojo. Maybe like captured by the Mojo verse again. And like, I mean, they I, were captured by vampires. So I, I don't know. The arcade is, I, vampires are not really arcade in Mojo's deals. So. I suppose. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I just didn't care for it much. I'm going to skim it. Let's get back to creepy with Creep Show number one from Image Comics. It's three ninety nine. This is written by Chris Burnham, who is now a double threat. Put him in that category. Paul Dini and Stephen Langford with art by Chris Burnham and John McRae. Here's your solicit. The worldwide phenomenon based on the hit Shutter TV series comes to comics in a star-studded five-issue anthology series that will scare you to death. <laughs> in the debut issue, Chris Burnham. Die, die, die! That's one of the comic books that he works on. I don't want him to die or anything. And he also worked on Nameless, terrifies with a tale of trick-or-treaters who are taught what happens when you mess with the wrong house. Then, legendary Batman, the animated series creator, Paul Dini, Steve Langford, and John McRae. Only one of those is the animated series creator, by the way. Petrify with the party antics of Shingo, the birthday clown, with an appetite for more than cake. Each issue of Creep Show will feature different creative teams and uniquely horrifying standalone stories. For those of you who don't know why I'm screaming, whenever they put stuff in all caps in our solicits, we are compelled to scream it. That's what you want. I feel right? like after th- after this many years, you're not you don't have to explain it anymore. And if they don't know, that's every, on them. Every show could be somebody's first, Joe. Just like every hey, comic. Just, could I, be I want first. them to like wonder what you're doing and then like just spent a lot of time thinking about it. I want it. them to feel welcome in the clubhouse. Chris well, Burnham writes. Welcome. Chris Burnham writes and draws the first story that follows three kids on Halloween night. Like any good creep show episode, things devolve into insane gore very fast. And Burnham has a blast drawing the blood, guts, and puke. I loved the weird monster design here too. Danny Lankford's story leans into the mean-spirited horror comedy aspect we've come to expect from Creepshow with a desperate single mom trying to find a performer for her daughter's birthday, ending up with a fun-loving child-eating demon. <laughs> McCray is having fun here, and his style felt kind of throwback to me. He's sort of come into a, a newer, cleaner style recently that we really liked. This felt sort of like vintage McCray, but it works as well. Not like he was lazy. He's having fun here. Like Stuff of Nightmares, Creepshow is a loving homage to EC Comics with a blender full of 80s grindhouse horror. You can tell these creators jumped at the chance to write their own Creepshow short. If you're not watching Creepshow on Shudder and you call yourself a horror nerd, you are missing a good time. And the same goes for Creepshow the comic. While not for the faint of heart, if you love the formula, you're gonna love this comic. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I mean... uh no spoilers for the first story, but I was a little bit bummed about <laughs> what happened to one of the characters because I thought that like, you know, he didn't deserve it, but you don't know um, nothing about no creep show, son. <laughs> no. I mean, that's fair. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I thought this was, this was really great. It's, it's scary. It's, it's creepy looking like the art is beautiful. Um, Chris Burnham and John McRae, like those guys are those guys are, are born for horror. Yeah. And um, like while the the Chris Burnham story is like gory and gross, the John McRae story is more like creepy. You know, it's like kind of sinister looking and creepy. Well, and, and also we, kind we, of gross. We also learn a lesson, you know, like the well, sure. That's like, the other. We, that's the other thing Creepshow loves to do. Like, who is the real monster? <laughs> you know, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, like I don't know enough about Creepshow to know why that they also have like a crypt keeper. I, like, I don't. I guess that's just the thing. That's they all do. I mean, they, everybody. Yeah. All these horror anthology shows are always introduced by some creepy monster thing. You know? <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, this was great. It's a buy it from me. So remember, boys and girls, safety first. Let's jump forward to this week. That's today, September 28th. Happy birthday, Dad. I am going to be reviewing Old Dog Number 1 from Image Comics. It's written and drawn. 
by Declan Shalvey. Here's your solicit. Jack Lynch was a once promising CIA operative on the eve of retirement, looking back at a failed career. He's tasked with one final mission that goes horribly wrong. He wakes up 10 years later to a changed world and deeper changes within him. When a shadow group offers Lynch a second chance at a life of adventure, he's paired with the last person he could ever imagine. In order to adjust, this old dog will have to learn some new tricks. <laughs> it's by those guys I just mentioned. You've seen their work in other places. Uh, I guess just the one guy, Declan Shalvey, Moon Knight, Injection, Time Before Time. And this uh, claims that it's the Winter Soldier meets Mission Impossible in this Bourne-esque action espionage blowout. That is a lot of, of comparisons to make in one paragraph. I don't think they're wrong, though. I mean, but, yeah, they're I not wrong. They're yeah. not wrong. I agree with all of it. Old Dog is a comic that wears its inspirations on its sleeve. I'd also add that there's a bit of Warren Ellis and Cully Hamner's red in the mix as well. None of that is a bad thing, since I love a good, slightly futuristic spy thriller. Shalvey splits the story's focus on two major events, interweaving the two scene by scene and showing us how they connect at the end. It's a pretty effective bit of storytelling that keeps the mystery interesting for the full issue, because like once the premise is fully revealed, a lot of the details might uh, kind of be unnecessary or boring, but the way Shalvey presents everything is really interesting to follow and see how it all weaves together. I had a few moments where I thought I knew what was going on, but I never quite got it all the way right. Jack Lynch the, is the only character we're meant to focus on here, but we don't get too much development out of Shalvey in this issue, which is fine for now. But he has his work cut out for him now that the premise is mostly established. I'm also still a little unclear about Lynch's new status quo, like what is happening? with and to him, but I'm sure that will be explored in the next issue. Shalvey's art is as great as ever, and he's able to deliver high-tech espionage and old guys sitting in a van action with equal dynamism. <laughs> old Dog number 1 sets up a compelling new sci-fi spy story with an interesting hook and incredible art. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I love that we're living in the Declan Shalvey renaissance right now, right? Like, Time Before Time is great. If you're not reading that, you need to check it out. It's an excellent book. He's just got these stories in him and he's cranking them out. He's like, fine, I'll just do them myself. And they're great. It looks good. He's got a very, like everything you mentioned in the, in the solicit, not that you mentioned, but everything is solicit mentions, you know, mission impossible, uh, the born ultimatum, stuff like that. It's all here. Yeah. No doubt. Right. But he's got a really clever twist on it that's going on as well that makes the whole spy intrigue thing even wilder and yeah i had questions at the end of this issue too but i hope i like every issue i keep getting twisted like this and going wait oh whoa, whoa, yeah, wait a I mean, minute that's the thing right is that it's okay to have questions at the yeah. end of an issue you as don't need to know compelling. everything at the end of every chapter right as long as you make it compelling and he's got a little trick that he does in this that makes it really compelling i'm giving this a buy it loved it You know, Joe, I've always said that we all need to be in therapy. You don't have to talk to us, but you need to talk to somebody. And sometimes your therapist could also be a masked vigilante. So keep that in mind. I'm talking about flawed number one from Image. It's $3.99. This is written by Chuck Brown with art by Prenzy. Here's your solicit. Bitter Root co-writer Chuck Brown and superstar artist of... Superstar artist Prenzy, who worked on On the Stump, reunite for this ultra-violent, high-octane limited series that's Frasier meets the Punisher. Yeah, okay. Jem Ez Wow. <laughs> Jem Ez is a psychiatrist in this Kafka-esque city of Sith Sethem or Setham or Sethem. I don't know, Sethem, we'll call it. Where corruption and brutality rule the streets. By day, she uses words to solve her patients' problems. By night. She takes a more direct and sometimes deadly approach. But when her practice puts her in the sights of an immortal serial killer, Jem finds herself embroiled in a power struggle that threatens everything she's ever known. I'm glad I did not read the solicit here because it would have given away a key plot that is definitely not given away in this. It's hinted, but the solicit totally gives it away. I admit I have not read Brown's Bitter Root at Image. I know it's good. I know I need to. I will. Okay. 
We reviewed the first issue. Yeah, but like you can't just read the first but, issue and be like, I read no, it. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, I know him from his work on On the Stump and the Black Manta mini he did at DC. We both really liked On the Stump. And this looks like another solid brown image book. He sets up the title in very superhero style. In a town full of corruption, one person is fighting back. It's tried and it's true, but the real draw is in the development of Dr. Jim Ez. There's plenty of Punisher knockoffs blowing criminals to pieces out there, but Brown takes time to develop a compassionate side to Dr. Ez before she puts on a costume and starts blowing criminals to pieces. And stabbing them in the face. <laughs> yeah. She's oh, yeah. What, like, literally, one guy gets... <laughs> more than one guy. Two Ooh. guys get it straight in the face really bad. She's yeah. almost like a more violent daredevil than a Punisher, and it makes the story very interesting. Prenzi's art can get a little wild at times, with almost, like, fisheye lens effect on some of his cityscapes, but I kind of dug it. His action is very solid, does a great job on the coloring here, too. He's got a warm color palette for the opening, very well-written therapy scene that switches to a louder, darker palette during the action scenes. The action, speaking of, is very solid. I will say his gore needs a little work. It's a minor complaint, I know. And gore is very hard to do. It's not like you can have a model stand there being all gory, right? You got to picture it and draw it. <laughs> but if you are going to go for it, and here he definitely does, you got to make it look good. The design on Dr. Ez's vigilante costume, that's just kind of basic ninja. It could have been a little more interesting, but it works fine. The title of the book says it all, though. Flawed takes a realistic look at mental health, criminal justice, and themes of right and wrong with a diverse cast and the help of a very talented artist. This is a lot of fun first issue. I thought it was going to play out pretty boilerplate, but I was surprised in the end. I really like this. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, yeah. Again, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I didn't read the solicit before I read it either, and uh, I, I ended up really enjoying it. Um, I think the art's really good. The gore, I mean, whatever. I, I'm not a... I'm not a gore expert, so it didn't bother me. I mean, if you if you're saying that it's not like a realistic depiction of blood and viscera, uh, no, I guess I don't know what to tell I'm you. I'm not about saying that because you can do it with style as well. Like if you think of books like Michael Avon Oming on Powers, he's not drawing the most detailed stuff in the world, but his gore was gross. Like when you looked at it, you're like, yeah, that is a dead body, you know. And this that's a, that's true. That's a fair. It's point. just not this, as this does look a little bit more cartoon, right? It's not as um, effective. And his other art is very good. The action's great. It's just like that yeah. needs to be a little stronger if you're going to lean into it like this. Uh, the as for as for uh, Doc's like outfit, like. To me, I didn't even really think of it as a costume. Like she's a vigilante. Like I this suppose, isn't a, yeah. this isn't necessarily like this isn't a world of superheroes. She's just wearing an outfit that she goes out to kick ass in. Well, there's an immortal so, serial killer, and <laughs> oh, I am. Mean, you know, fair. I that's, guess that's fair. And that's why, like, if had I just read it, I'd be like, all right, fine. But they're very much playing it like a superhero comic, and I guess I just I would like to see. A little more fair enough. Line. Fair enough. I, I guess it's uh, minor it's, complaint. It's it it hues I, I, that that's a good that's a good point. It, it it hues a little bit closer to real world like sashes and 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 masks and and right. shoulder pads and or knee pads and stuff. You know, and, rather than like superhero costume. Yeah. Um. But she's also not a superhero. So. Um. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes as as it develops and as she develops as uh, as a character and as a vigilante. Um. But this was a lot of fun. Chuck Brown's a great writer. Uh, he's this good. is a buy-in for me for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's good. Holy speed, worse than death. Holy stalactites. Holy dirt. Holy stampede. Holy torrents. Holy matadors. Holy guacamole. My final review goes to Tim Drake Robin, number one from DC Comics. It's written by Megan Fitzmartin with art by Riley Rosmo. Here's your solicit. Step aside, Damien. The world's favorite Robin has got this. That's right. After years away, Tim Drake has taken center stage in a brand spanking new Robin series of his very own. A mystery over a year in the making takes shape as a new villain who's been hounding Tim from afar decides to take things up close and personal, putting Bernard and everyone else Tim cares about in peril as things go from bad to worse for the world's oldest and canonically tallest Robin. Uh, no, I will not be fact checking that. This isn't a solicit, by the way. This is not I, like this is all just. 
I I assume they know that. <laughs> right? I, I, I mean, tall like he's not taller than Nightwing, but I guess maybe taller than Dick was when Dick was Robin. Sure, why not? Maybe. He's certainly taller than Damien. All that and Tim finally carves out a corner of Gotham City just for himself and sets up shop in his very own murder shack boat. Fan favorite writer Megan Fitzmartin teams up with beloved Harley Quinn artist Riley Rosmo to define the next chapter in Tim's life. Boy, is that a lot of claims to make in one sentence. It really is. And let me tell you, no fandom is as conflicted over a single comic book as the Tim Drake fandom is conflicted over Tim Drake Robin number one. Yeah, the whole internet's fighting about it right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Tim Drake is hands down my favorite Robin. I've loved the character since his debut in 1989, and I've been bummed to see him relegated to the background over the past several years. Don't get me wrong, Damien's great and all, but Tim's my guy. So I've been really excited to see him brought back into the spotlight, first in the pages of Batman Urban Legends, and now here in his own series. You can tell that writer Megan Fitzmartin is excited too, and her affection for the character shines through. Tim has struck out on his own with a new home, new friends, and a new love. Bernard and Tim are adorable together, and we even see the return of a character from the old We Are Robin series, which I honestly thought we'd never hear about again. Yeah, I just figured that didn't happen. I don't know. <laughs> right, I don't know. I, like, I didn't even realize it was still canon. I mean, I guess so, the I guess, signal is still around, so yeah. yeah Duke Thomas came out, came out of that, Duke didn't came he? out of there. Uh, he he yeah. led them. Yeah. Duke Thomas, perfectly good character. Terrible, terrible design on that costume. It's so bad. It's the just signal. Bad. Yeah, it's a God. It's a weird outfit. Fitzmartin's story leans heavily on Tim's skills as a detective, which is one of the hallmarks of the character. So good to see that in play here. The mystery continues from the Urban Legends prequel, but this issue gives you everything you need to follow along. Now, I love Riley Rosmo. His style is so unusual and dynamic and fun to look at. Normally. Yeah. But there's something about what he's doing here that I find very off-putting. It's still super dynamic and full of exciting movement, but his figures are almost too super deformed. Tim looks like the elephant man. Yeah. The inking is also kind of inconsistent, which is weird to say with art as bizarre as this, but there are often elements within a panel that are drawn at the same depth, meaning they're on like the same right. you know, plane within a field, right? But the line weight will be wildly different on one side versus another. Now, these are things that are at the same level of depth. Right. The only, diff the only time you need to vary a line weight like that is to show depth or shading. And if they're the same level of depth and there is no shading, why are the lines so weirdly different? Yeah. And it can, it's it, can just, it looks lopsided and it can make you just like, like the juxtaposition is strange. Like you can't it, tell it, what you're looking it, at, you know, it like, reads, it reads as off. Yeah. And it makes some characters um, look like they're floating. Like, I don't know yeah. the way he drew like some people's feet and stuff. It looked like they were like fairy people that were kind of flying around. I, it was strange. Yeah. Now I love the coloring and I love, you know, there's like this kind of like textural tone, not zip a tone, but like a kind of a, uh, a textured kind of dot pattern yeah, yeah. Uh, throughout the coloring that I really like. Um, but Rosmo is not at his best here. It's weird. And it's the a story choice. It's a choice that he definitely made. Oh, for sure. Yes, absolutely. The story, and I can't tell you, I can't say enough that like Tim's head looks like a, an eggplant. It looks like a, yeah. it looks like a flesh colored eggplant. Yeah, like a monster. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. The story of Tim Drake Robin, number one, had enough going for it to make this old Tim Drake fan happy. However, the extremely dodgy art is going to be a tough barrier to break through for some readers. I'm giving this a skim it. it it's, it's not what I would have chosen. Yeah. Um, it, like, it wasn't just the art for me either. Uh, let me just get this out there. I have no problem with Tim Drake dating a dude. Okay. So don't come at me. That's not what this is. But I realize this character has gone through a lot. When paired with this weird art and a brand new status quo, he's like living in a marina and, and on a boat. The girl from We Are Robin is there and he's still Robin, but there's another Robin. 
And then you pair it with Rosmo's really strange art choices that like, by the time I was done, I was like, what is this? What am I doing? It seems like they missed a chance to rebrand Tim Drake. And I'm saying like, he doesn't need to be Robin anymore. I don't know what he should be, but something else, make him his own guy. I'm just saying there's a lot that happens here with this character, but he's still Robin somehow. Why not give him something else? If we're going to do something different with him and give him a new status quo, maybe we give him something else. Now we have Robin and Robin. Oh, not that Robin. This is Tim Robin. Oh, Damien Robin's doing that. Yeah, that's Damien Robin doing that. He's in the book with the great art. Tim's in the one with the really weird art. Right? Well, I mean, this book is called Tim Drake Robin. I get so. it. I just think they could do better with Tim. I'm giving this a skimming as well. Story is fine. But when you it, pair I, everything I, they set up with the story with weird art, it doesn't come off as a great product. It comes off strange. Uh, the I, uh, Yeah, yes. And, and the idea of there being multiple Robins does not bother me. We've got a dozen Flashes and nobody bat, bats an eye. But, yeah, but they're all Kid um, Flash, you know, and like... No, they're not. No, well, I they're guess not. there's two Flashes, I suppose. There's Jay Garrick is the Flash, yeah. Barry Allen is the Flash, Wally West is the Flash. I guess that um, just doesn't work for me for Robin for some reason, because Robin is like it, a job, you know? Okay. Uh, I mean, I guess, sure. I mean, if you can't get there, that's fine. But like, to me, like, they're... It's fine for Tim to, like, we also have multiple Batgirls. Yeah, so, I also don't want him being know. called the Sparrow or whatever the crap that was. That was terrible. <laughs> no, that was the woman. That was the girl. That no, was she called Robin herself that, but for a minute there, Tim Drake was calling himself the Sparrow a while back, remember? No, 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 he was calling himself Drake. Oh, that's right, Drake, a duck. A, which is A, his last name, and B, a duck. Yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> you're right, so... Yeah, no, no. He was calling himself Drake, which right. is the dumbest, which is probably one of the dumbest things Bendis has, yeah. has done at DC, which is saying something. There's a lot that they're dumping on you here. So I can understand why some people don't like it for the right reasons. I'm not going to defend dude that's like, they should have never made him queer. That guy can give f- You know, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. All right. Our final yes. review of the day goes to Briar, number one of four from Boom Studios. It's $3.99. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by German Garcia. Here's your solicit. What if Sleeping Beauty never got her happily ever after and instead had to save herself? Set in a brutal fantasy world that time forgot, this isn't the fairy tale you know. Eisner Award-nominated writer, producer, and director Christopher Cantwell, who worked on Iron Man, United States of Captain America, and the show Halt and Catch Fire. They just kind of threw that in there. And rising artist German Garcia, who worked on Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land recently, and a bunch of other stuff, reimagined the classic tale as an epic dark fantasy adventure. As a solicit mentions, Briar is definitely a take on Sleeping Beauty, but there's also this person out of time aspect to it that kind of reminded me of Captain America. Now, this character was a carefree princess in her former life. So unlike Steve Rogers, she is not exactly ready to take on the world when she wakes up bone skinny from not eating for decades in suspended animation. The world that Cantwell builds is fantasy informed by Disney and Tolkien with different races and monstrous threats, but it's also not as impenetrable as some fantasy stories. Cantwell is a fantastic writer. He does an excellent job building the princess's personality as she finds her way in this world and this future that she never saw coming. German Garcia is a master and probably deserves to be added to the artist too good for comics conversation. He can do so much with so little that it is mind boggling at times. What first appears to be a thin line, barely detailed panel elicits a ton of emotion when it's all put together on the page. I didn't recognize the colorist name, Matthias Lopez, but he's perfect for this job. And you can see his palette change when the story switches from sweet fairy tale to, you know, nightmare. (laughs) Briar is a four issue limited series, but this creative team is setting up a much larger fantasy world that I would be willing to follow for years to come. Giving this a buy it. Cantwell, man. the guy just writes good comics. Yeah, I loved this. Uh, uh, that colorist, that name, I, I think I've seen that before. Pro- I, mean, I feel like I recognize like, it. I just don't likely know. paired with German Garcia. Yeah. You know, uh, like to, perhaps they are collaborators. Um, I thought this was really great. Uh, like uh, Sleeping Beauty 
who has just like fairy tales most kick ass like princess name Briar Rose. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that name. I, I loved that like when she woke up, she was basically a skeleton and she ended up having to like murder her way to town. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, eating raw animals. And, right. And she's afraid um, to sleep. So she's like bugged out yeah, of her mind. Like, this was <laughs> this was such a great take on like a well-known or at least like we we really know the sanitized version of it so well. I thought this was awesome. I thought the art was, of course, beautiful. I love German Garcia. Oh, Lopez worked on that Rogues that's going on at DC right now. This oh, little, Rogues. Oh, yes. That Rogues. and also the, yes. the new Sandman, the Dreaming series. Nightmare go. Country? No, Sandman, the Dreaming. Not that just it was. Oh, like, so that's that ended. It, a while, yeah, it so. ended in 2020. Yeah. But yeah, this is a gorgeous book. Great story from Canwell. Uh, who has really made a name for himself in comics. Uh, if this TV thing doesn't work out for him, uh, he's got a home here. This is a huge buy it. I really liked it. Check out our ludicrous speed round over at twoheadednerd.com for reviews of more new comics that we read this week. And if you want to know more about the comics we just discussed, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info and our formal apology to all of the eggplant heads out there. You can also hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we move on, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN private collection. It's the permanent collection, not the private collection. That's true. I got to give it to Briar. And I, I think it was just, we saw a lot of books that had a clever take on something this week. You know, it, we saw the clever spy take that we got from uh, uh, Declan Shelby. Old Dog. Old Dog, yeah. thank you. And like the clever take on the therapist Punisher and stuff. That was fun too. But Briar, it was so simple. It's just like, oh, what if, uh, you know, the uh, prince never woke her up? He never showed up. And she just like woke up one day. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so simple and it, it just makes a great story. And the art, Garcia is just incredible. My Briar, that's my choice. Yeah, you know what? Uh, same. Uh, same. I, I, I thought for a minute there I might give it to something else, but I really did like Briar. And, uh, like, I've never rooted for a character. Like, uh, of all the characters we read about this week, Briar's the one that I was just like, pick up that sword, girl. Pick up that sword and kill that guy. <laughs> well, and like, at first I, you're just like, oh, God, this girl's terrible. I can't stand her. <laughs> <laughs> now the review time is over. Let's head up to the THN Weather Center, the Sanctum Sanctorum, to monitor this hurricane and see if we even need to bother with our must-read picks for next week, Joe Patrick. There may not be a next week. That's how big this damn storm is. It's crazy. If there is, what will be your must-read pick for next new comic day, Wednesday, October 5th? You know, I, I just wasn't quite sure if you'd actually get around to saying the date, <laughs> but you did it. My pick for next week, and you can laugh if you want, but I don't care. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Saturday morning adventures, number one. I don't know where these kids lived that this show was on on Saturday mornings. Yeah. It was on during the week, after school, or before school, depending on where you live. I think they're just sticking with their Saturday morning theme. They uh, yeah, did the, it's the brand. It's one. Fine. And, that's, and that's fine. Yeah, Saturday morning cartoons, I get it. It's from IDW. It's $3.99. It's written by Eric Burnham, who, you know, writes everything that was even remotely based around a cartoon. And it's got art by Tim Latte. Not Laddie, but Latte. Latte. Tim Latte. <laughs> Here's your solicit. In 1987, the world at large was introduced to the TMNT by way of a catchy theme song and an action-packed cartoon. The cartoon's aesthetic returns in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Saturday Morning Adventures featuring an all-new set of standalone stories. In this issue, after an unexpected power surge, the heroes in a half-shell find themselves trapped in a training simulator, fighting to free themselves from the digital clutches of some of their most fearsome foes. Get ready for VR in deep trouble. Get it? And try not to worry if that theme song is already stuck in your head. It is, I assure you, and I assume that Matt Bomb has been playing it underneath my voice this entire time. No, probably not because we'll get sued. But, you know, what can you do? You really think we get sued? Yeah, probably. Eh, <laughs> like, whatever. We, we try to only work with artists that say we can use their stuff. Speaking of which, if you want to know what music we're playing, check out our soundtrack notes. We got a whole list. Yeah, you know what? Uh, here, I'll sing a little bit of it for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 
I don't think we can sue us for that, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> they might be able to sue us for that, though. That was a little. Oh, early. sorry. Dang, dang. I tried not to get the whole words up. Uh, so, why did I pick this? When there next week is huge. By the way, there are so many yeah. new number ones out next week. It was tough to pick one, but I chose this because not only did I really, really love the TMNT cartoon in 1987, who didn't? But specifically. As a young comic book fan, I was a huge fan of TMN, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Adventures from Archie Comics, which was original stories set in the cartoon world of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, it's where we got the introduction of so many great characters that are still around today. Uh, they're just really fun books, and I loved them whenever I had the chance to read them. And this looks like it's tapping into that nostalgia in a big way. Yeah, they've, yeah, they can't wait. All of these have been surprisingly good. So, okay, <laughs> I'll check it out. Let's do it. I really thought I was going to have to fight you about it. No, my pick for next week is Night of the Ghoul. Number one from Dark Horse. It's $3.99 written by Scott Snyder and art by Francesco Francovia. We were just talking about that guy. He also got my cover of the week this week. Here's your solicit. Shot in 1936, Night of the Ghoul by writer-director T.F. Merritt was meant to sit beside Frankenstein and Dracula as an instant classic, dot, dot, dot. But the legendary film never made it to the silver screen. Just before editing was finished, a mysterious studio fire destroyed the footage and killed the cast and crew celebrating at the rap party. Forrest Inman is a horror film obsessive who digitizes old films for the famed Aurora Movie Studio. When Forrest stumbles across a seemingly forgotten canister of footage, he just might have discovered the remnants of the lost classic, Night of the Ghoul. The discovery sends Forrest on a dark odyssey where he is warned by a mysterious old man that the film's ghoul is far more than a work of fiction. It's a very real monster who plans to kill him! <laughs> this was one of uh, Snyder's Comicsology originals coming to print at Dark Horse now. Look, it's Frank Avia, drawn horror. I'm in. I don't care who's writing it. That said, all of Snyder's originals have been really good at comicsology. Uh, this is one that I did not read. It escaped me. I read We Have Demons. I really like that. This one I'm super excited about. It's kind of one of those things that we're like, Frank Avia being one of the artists of the caliber that he is, and as much as I love him, I kind of want this in a book form. I don't want to own it digitally. <laughs> so I'm excited it's coming out. I will definitely buy the collected edition when they put it out at Dark Horse. Pick this up. It's going to be awesome. If you haven't read it already. You're part of the problem, trade waiter. I'm just kidding. It's a valid way of, it's a valid yeah, way of collecting. You read it digitally and then buy it on trade. There you go. You also have to buy it digitally. <laughs> you can, sure. Okay, I just didn't know. I just, you know, putting that out in the universe. Yeah, All of right. Course. The THN trade for the week of October 5th goes to I'm Still Alive. It's a hardcover from Boom Studios. It's $24.99. It's written by Roberto Saviano with art by Asaf Hanukkah. Oh, I love Asaf Hanukkah. Here's your solicit. When the world-renowned Italian journalist Roberto Saviano put pen to paper at age 26, he'd change laws, expose widespread corruption, put his own life at risk, and save countless others. Gamora, his, <clears throat> Gamora, his groundbreaking international bestseller and New York Times notable book of the year, exposed the inner workings of the Italian mafia and placed Saviano under direct threat, which has necessitated 24-hour police protection to this day. Joined by award-winning cartoonist Asaf Hanukkah, uh, THN listeners will remember him from The Realist, which Matt and I adore. Yeah. Uh, he also did something called The Divine. Saviano shares his deepest thoughts and experience of life in Naples, where he witnessed the power and violence of the mafia firsthand. This sounds amazing. It, just based on the strength of Asaf Hanukkah's work alone, uh, this is a must read for me, but yeah, this sounds like it will be a really important and interesting, compelling read. Yeah. That, and so not I just, started, just like some dude telling a story in a, no. you know, in a diner. I just started the book, Gamora, the audio book, and it's excellent. So this is the story of what happened after he wrote the book. 
the mafia was like, okay, kill that guy. <laughs> because he was even like, he was completely right on about everything that he wrote. So <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. You can find links with more info on our picks of the week in our show notes. We always post our must-read picks on our Discord, on our Twitters, and our Facebook every Wednesday, too. So you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic store or, you know, digitally, online, whatever. But let us know what you thought about our picks over in our new comics channel on our Discord. We love talking about this stuff there. I figured when you were old enough, I'd talk to you about comic books. Tell you to stay away from the garbage that pushes that junk. I'm so high. <laughs> Nothing can hurt me. No. Before we get out of here, it's time for a sneak peek of our THN Extra. When you support THN on Patreon for as little as $1 per month, you get access to all kinds of extra content just like this. The Comic Pushers return! And this time, it's to discuss what happens when books without pictures get pictures. Today's addict is Old Man New Guy, and he came crawling up to us, scratching his wrists on our Discord. He asks, Ryan North's adaptation of Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five was fantastic. I was looking around for other literature adapted to comics format and haven't found anything on par. Marvel has the Iliad and the Odyssey on their app, but their Iliad didn't follow the structure of the original and was too much of an eighth grade history teacher doesn't want to teach this story. So here's a comic about it vibe. <laughs> Does anyone totally have any recommendations for really good adapted classics? He puts classics in quotes because it's like, could be classic for you or just cult classic or whatever. Harvey Locust was one of the first to speak up and he picked out a really good one. He yeah, mentioned he Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Boom. Put that out in 2009. And it was a really good adaptation. It ran for, it ran for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, like they adapted the book, which it's a, it's a lengthy book. If you don't know, that is the book that Blade Runner is based off of. So. Yes. There you go. Joe. What would you throw at our friend, old man, new guy? He's kind of heady. He's a smart one. Yeah. You know, so obviously I picked the, uh, the most intellectually stimulating thing I could find Stephen King's dark tower. That's a joke, by the way. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's trashy as hell. Gotcha. It's no, trashy but, as hell. Hey, the dark tower is definitely a cult classic, beloved it, you Stephen know, people King love it. novel. Uh, people love it. I, they made a really the, shitty movie out of it. <laughs> I read, I haven't seen the movie. Oh, it's terrible. Um, I read the first book and uh, very much disliked it, but that's just me. I like it. Um, I'm not here to talk about what I like. I'm here to talk about what other people want. Stephen King's Dark Tower. The first book was called The Gunslinger Born. It was from Marvel Comics. These are all from Marvel Comics, by the way, these the Dark Tower books. Uh, they're written by Peter David and Robin Firth with art by Jay Lee uh, and various. Uh, the first book came out, the first collection came out in February of 2007, uh, originally for $24.99. It came out in hardcover. And here is the solicit of that first book. The man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. With those words, millions of readers were introduced to Stephen King's Roland, an implacable gunslinger. Implacable? Sure. Gunslinger in search of the enigmatic Dark Tower, powering his way through a dangerous land filled with ancient technology and deadly magic. Now, in a comic book personally overseen by King himself, Roland's past is revealed. Sumptuously drawn by Jay Lee and Richard Eisenhoff, adapted by longtime Stephen King expert Robin Firth, who also wrote Stephen King's The Dark Tower A Concordance, and scripted by New York Times bestseller Peter David, this series delves deep into Roland's origins, the perfect introduction to this incredibly realized world, while longtime fans will thrill to adventures merely hinted at in the novels. Be there for the very beginning of a modern classic of fantasy literature. Now, correction, I said that the uh, collected edition came out in February 2007. Actually, it was the first issue of the Dark Tower comic book. Came out February 2007. Okay. Later collected in hardcover. Marvel released 19 Dark Tower story arcs and one-shots over the course of a decade. Oh, and 16 collected editions. Uh, they also had a number of companion editions like guidebooks and almanacs. And that's just a fancy way of saying like handbooks. They came out in comic book form. 
All of the comics content, I believe, was written by Peter David and Robin Firth. Correct. Uh, and Firth was Stephen King's former personal research assistant. So he is a Stephen King expert. Yeah. Now, as somebody that was working in a comic shop when the Dark Tower was first released, the first Dark Tower books were insanely popular. We're talking like, like I believe the first comic book, uh, the first modern comic book midnight release hap was for the Dark Tower. And then Marvel would later do it with other books. Yeah. Is that right? Um, I'm looking at that. But yeah, but they were like lines out the door for this Dark Tower comic because Stephen King is such a hugely popular writer. Now, right. this is not, this is not written by Stephen King. It is a comic book adapted from Stephen King from all, by all accounts, it really faithfully captures the, the essence and story of the book in, in a, a faithful way, uh, in a way that the, the movie obviously did not, uh, according to Matt, uh, again, I have not seen it. Oh, the movie's terrible. The movie's terrible. But, don't, don't waste uh, your time. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to think of a comic book adapta adaptation of uh, a novel without thinking of the Dark Tower series. Uh, Marvel would go on to do a number of Stephen King projects, uh, like uh, they did a bunch of comic books based on The Stand mm -hmm. or adapting The Stand with uh, Mike Perkins on art. I forget who wrote those. I did not care for The Stand ones much. The Dark Tower ones were very good. I liked the Dark Tower books. I've not read all of them. I've read several of them. And one thing they did here, they, they did the main story that basically adapted the book, but they did delve deeper into side characters and stuff and did stuff yeah. in the comics that Stephen King was absolutely in on and said, yep, that counts. Do it. I love it. Yeah. So it's yeah. All no, it, was one, it was all done with like the blessing of Stephen King. Like this was yeah, it's very a cool. major undertaking, a, a, a huge a, a, and a huge success for Mark. Jay Lee, man. Come on. I love that dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for THN 680. I forgot it was a landmark episode. My bad. Next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, and we're kicking off spooky season with a monster mash. We're doing vampires. Pardon me. Draculas versus werewolves. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> If you want to wrap up this week's episode, comics you're reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following on our Discord, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it on Saturdays at 10.30 Central Time. You can watch our broadcast live on our Facebook page. But if you want to play along and hang out with the cool kids, you got to join our Discord so you can learn how to chat and talk with us live on the show. And we set you up with something to talk about called The Question of the Week. This week's question is courtesy of Kevin from the Great White North. If you lived in a world where all of comics, secret societies, military specialist groups, spy organizations, and terrorist cells existed, who would you hench for? Who has the best henchmen or agents and why? Hey, just maybe, I'm just saying, hey, maybe stop short of wanting to like, aspiring to any like terrorist, uh. Yeah, but, but like, <laughs> stop short of admitting any the terrorist serpent aspirations. Society is cool, I'd work for them. They're rad. <laughs> you know, the Serpent Society is racist. Yeah, exactly. No, not an. The sons of the, the sons of the serpent is racist. Yeah, the the serpent the Society serpent. is a team, not an organization. Yeah, but but they had a bunch of people who worked for them and stuff, and they no, were no man. And they, they worshipped the snake god that Conan fought. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> that's not the no. Yeah, it was set, wasn't it? But that's not the Serpent Society. The Serpent Society was just a group of snake-themed supervillains. All right, whatever. The Sons of the Serpent, they were racist. Yeah, they were Nazis. Uh, please keep your question of the week suggestions coming our way. And if you can't make it to Cover to Cover Live, shoot an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That number is 402-819-4894. And you could and will be internet famous, just like Old Man New Guy. Remember to keep your recorded... Oh, and of course, Kevin from the Great White North. Remember to keep your recorded messages on the short side. We have a lot of air to share with the live callers. Uh, so we just ask that you keep it short if you're sending in a recording. If you're new to this show and you're not afraid to admit that you wish Modoc was your boss, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, 
Griffin Peterson, as we're recording this, we found out Griffin does in fact have an eggplant head. So we not only are apologizing to eggplant head people everywhere, we're now apologizing to patrons, Joe. Thanks a lot. Think about that for a minute. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content or just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you are a sweet, forgiving eggplant head like Griffin. Uh, I think the record rule will reflect that one of us insulted patrons this week, and it absolutely was not me. What are you talking about? Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to all of our Florida listeners and their loved ones. There is a very serious hurricane bearing down on the state, and now is not the time to call anyone out for voting for climate change deniers or asking why people didn't just leave. If you can help in any way, do it, and we can continue arguing later. Word to everyone, right in the storm out, baby. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just leave your pile on the beach for the storm to devour. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.